Hola. Hola. Bienvenidos a Conversaciones con Colegas. Colega. I'm Lucero. And I'm Maggie. And we are Latin Exchange, a bilingual education community. All right, we are back with another episode of Conversaciones con Colegas, season two. And today we have Jackie Martinez. Advocate. Very excited to have her on here. One, because she's another Texan that we have on the show. Shout out to Peña, live with Peña. But also because again, it goes with our theme. We're going to talk about advocacy today. And it's something that we've been talking in every single episode. And it's in your name, the T- the Texas Advocate. So why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Um, so my name is Jackie Martinez. And um, I am in my 12th year of teaching right now. I just recently returned to the classroom. Um, I temporarily resigned in October of 2020 um, due to what I felt was a huge mishandling of the pandemic um, when it comes to education, when it comes to teachers and students and their safety and well-being. Um, and you know, even pre-pandemic, I did feel that the, the way teachers were treated um, was not okay, but it was just something that's like widely accepted um, and so I think like the pandemic was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, nope, this is where I draw the line. And so I resigned um, with every intention of returning, but not sure if it would actually happen. Cause at the time, you know, there was no vaccine. We didn't know what was going on with this pandemic. Um, and so in that time out of, you know, frustration and anger and resentment, I just, you know, I made a TikTok, not really, thinking anything about it. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of blew up in the last year. It, it's actually been exactly one year since I started my TikTok. Um, and at first it was really slow. It was just like, oh, that's what I expected. Like, you know, five views on here, if that even. Um, but yeah, the, the more I talked about, you know, just how broken the education system is nationwide. Um, I don't know, I think it just resonated with teachers and. And now here I am. This is the fourth time I've been asked to be a guest, which is so cool. <laughs> I'm like, I never would have imagined this. Um, but I'm glad because the goal here right now is to normalize advocacy among teachers. Um, and I know, I feel that it's not really something, I don't think it's because of apathy or anything like that. I really feel like the reason it's not normalized is because of this like, deeply rooted fear of retaliation um and we need to get out of that mindset and so i don't know that's those are what my tiktoks revolve around so so yeah here i am (laughs) yay thank you so much for for your bravery and and honesty you know and i i completely agree with what you're saying and in that um in our field of work in education it is still very much so frowned upon right the the teacher advocacy part Mm -hmm. it's like we are being always told you know just do follow along this is the status quo fall in line right 
this is how we do things and this is we know what's best and that we collective being no one that actually is in education right because all of the all of the mandates everything curriculum all of those big decisions that trickle down into our actual day-to-day as the teachers in the classrooms all get made by people who are not part of education so it is amazing that, you know, that you have really been able to now use and leverage your platform, right, to move uh, that advocacy piece forward. Yes, exactly that. Um, the, the fact that teachers um, are, are expected to just fall into compliance, like every, it feels like everything we do is about compliance, you know, lesson planning, um, standardized testing, which I could go on and on about um, all of it, like you said, by people who are not educators, nor have they ever been, you know, you get a few here and there that like, oh, former teacher, um, which is great, uh, but it's just, it's not enough. And so I, I have always felt, I mean, even pre-pandemic that teachers, classroom teachers, practicing teachers are the ones who should be calling the shots, not you know, career politicians or um, people who stand to gain some kind of profit from education. So totally right there on the same page with you. (laughs) Before we dig in any deeper, do you mind sharing how you got into education in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) I always said that I never wanted to be a teacher. (laughs) So when I was in college, um, you know, I I majored in English lit. I wanted to be a writer. And um, I remember when people would ask me what my major was and I would say English, they'd be like, oh, so you want to be a teacher? And I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to be a teacher like ever. Um, And it's funny because as soon as I graduated, well, actually, let me back up. The the last semester of my senior year, I started coaching um, a high school cheerleading squad at a campus that was like, literally a block away. I went to St. Mary's University in San Antonio. Um, And when I started coaching there, I just, I remember seeing the students, like interacting with them, um, interacting with the cheerleaders, having, doing like these little fun, little like quick, I I guess like reflection activities. I guess I tried to bring a little bit of English (laughs) into cheerleading, but I remember when I would read their responses or whatever it was that they wrote, I would think like, this spelling is horrible or like, there's no grammar here. Like, and these are high schoolers. And I remember thinking, wow, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are these students who have like fallen through the cracks, like what's going on? Um, and then when I graduated, I still didn't, I, I was like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do. And so I, I ended up doing an alternative certification program um, with Dallas ISD. And that was kind of like the first time that I was like, there's something wrong with this system because I remember going through what was supposed to be like an intense um, training over the summer to be ready for the school year. And I remember thinking, can I really learn how to be a teacher in just two months? And, And then I remember when I entered the classroom, I mean, I was not prepared at all. I don't even think that if you study education, anything can truly prepare you. And so here I was, someone who had never studied education, just kind of thrown in the classroom. 
And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I cried on the first day of school. I remember after the last student left, my principal was walking by and she's like, hi, Miss Martinez, how, how was it? How'd it go? And the floodgates, the floodgates just opened and I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. And I regret that so much. I was so embarrassed afterwards, but at the time I just remember being like in a panic, like I don't know what I'm doing. And so after that, I was just like, you know, for someone who participated in an alter alternative certification program, I thought to myself, you know what? These are cash cows. This was like a temporary fix for what's like a, a huge problem, which we, you know, has only been exacerbated now. You know, back then there was a teacher shortage and now it's only worse because of the pandemic. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's, that's how, how I became a teacher. But the funny thing is I got burnt out after two years after two years of teaching, I was like, this isn't for me. I don't want to be a teacher. I, I hated life. <laughs> and and it wasn't, it wasn't because of the students. It wasn't because of the principal. Actually, I had a I had a pretty good principal my first two years. Um, I just literally didn't know what I was doing and I felt like I was cheating the kids. And so I I left the classroom and I went to teach abroad for a year. Um, and when I came back, I, I was like, I still don't know what I want to do, but I'm going to go back to, to school. And so I went for a second bachelor's this time in health promotion and, and I loved it. And I don't know why, but when I finished that degree, I was like, you know what? I feel like public health starts in the classroom, if not at home, it definitely starts at home. But I was like, I feel like teachers have um, more access to um you know, to the kids to be able to like, it, um, I guess, teach them about, you know, healthy habits and stuff. I wasn't thinking of standardized testing or curriculum or mandates. I wasn't thinking about that. I thought, oh, I can teach them about health. <laughs> no, it, it didn't work out that way. But what did change is that when I went back to the classroom the second time, um, I was ready, like I wanted to be there. And I, I remember feeling happy, like, like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I was like, okay, this isn't how I felt the first time around, but now I feel it. And, you know, I just, I love it. So that's kind of the story or that's the story. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's, it's funny how you say that um, you didn't want to be a teacher. I had the opposite. I, I, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I knew I wanted to do. But every time I talked to a teacher and I told them that's what I wanted to do, they're like, oh no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and for those reasons, right? Like this is a problem that has been going on for so long. And that's why Maggie decided like, we need to stop this. We need to change this. And that's where Latin exchange came to be. So we're really glad to have you on here especially with your unique story, because I feel like a lot of other educators, they knew that's what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see the other side of it too. Yeah. And, and just to expand a little bit more on what you're saying, I completely agree. I think that even those of us that, you know, changed their major completely because then they wanted to be a teacher, <laughs> you know, such as myself, um, are not prepared. Like there is nothing that prepares us to step into those classrooms right when we are done with our programs. I, you know, I have said that I, I firmly do believe that not only does our educational system K-12 need um, a revamp, so does our, you know, higher education system and the way that we are looking at teacher preparation because we are in a completely different 
time and space, right, with society and with our families and the needs that we see in our classrooms with our students. Like our systems were not built to address the population that we have now. And that's the reality and we need to start addressing it. Like we cannot keep going through this cycle of it's not working, but we're gonna keep doing the same thing. You know, like it just doesn't make sense. That is the definition of insanity. We cannot keep functioning in the cycle of insanity in education. And we have had a lot of quick fixes. I, I really like how you, you know, how you zeroed in on the fact that all of these things that pop up that, you know, gain traction that it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is how we're going to solve this problem. It tends to be a quick fix. And it's only the people who are profiting off of it that, you know, it's actually fixing something for. And that's the reason why we also have so such big curricular companies that give us basils, right, that give us these programs that are structured to quote unquote fix, right, the issues that we have, such as teachers walking into classrooms that aren't prepared. That's why we have scripted curriculum, because there was a time and space yeah. where we we didn't have teachers. This has now been a collective issue, you know, for a lot of time and space. And so the solution to that is here is a scripted curriculum. Now you know what to do. And it's not, education is not scripted. You know, at the end of the day, education is not scripted and we cannot rely on that. So thank you so much for, you know, for, for like really being honest with, with what you saw, because I feel like for a lot of us, we step into those classrooms and I don't know if it's a little bit also of like imposter syndrome that comes in that we're just kind of like, you know, I'm not, I, I'm here. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm trying to figure this out and I'm going to follow along, but that's not how we, how we bring solutions about Right. And so I think it's really, really important that we we shed that light and saying, like, no, there's something wrong. This does not make sense. Right. And collectively, we will be able to make that change. And exactly what Lucero said, you know, Latin Exchange, where we built it as um, started it as a company with that in mind that not only as Latinas, right, and Latinos do we have to take up that space in the business world, but also addressing the fact that education is a very big business. And there are a lot of people profiting from that business, when in reality, the decision makers should be us, the educators, right? And those profits should be coming to us that spend our time doing all that work, because we get those scripted curriculums, and then we still have to translate, have to supplement, have to create all of the necessary things for them to work. And all of those hours go unpaid. But yet, exactly. those, big, unpaid yeah, those big curricular companies, they get that yearly check because our schools keep buying their curriculum just for us to adapt. And at the end of the day, um, I know the majority of teachers don't even use, you know, those textbooks or, you know, if there's some great computer program, okay, cool. It looks like this is going to engage the kids. Let's use it. And it, something goes wrong, faulty technology, or, you know, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't the hit that we thought it was going to be with the kids. Like there's always something. And so um, here are these companies profiting billions of dollars like I feel like these these school districts are hemorrhaging this this money to someone who at the end of the day 
they're not really interested in the well-being of the child and the education of the children. Um, that's how they sell their curriculum with, you know, their buzzwords like, uh, you know, it's rigorous and I don't know, whatever other buzzwords they use for the kids. And, um, and yeah, there, it, it is, it is a business. And I don't think, I don't think teachers, at least people who like study to become teachers, they're not going in with a business mindset. They're going in with a, I want to help. I want to make a difference mindset. Um, and I, I think that's how, uh, that's where we, where it stems from the problem of that we get taken, taken advantage of. And there's this unpaid labor and none of it is benefiting the kids. Standardized tests are not benefiting the kids at all. If anything, it's, you know, just brought anxiety and stress to both teachers and students. Um, and it doesn't, it, it's not important. I, I'm not completely anti-standardized testing. I, I, I feel like tests have a place in education, <laughs> but the fact that it's like the end-all be-all of the classroom and you know, teachers are constantly stressed because their kids aren't performing. And I mean, the, we'll always be gaslit into thinking like, you know, if, if your students aren't passing or if they're not doing well or whatever, like, then you must not care about kids. And <laughs> it's like, whoa, why do you think I came into this field knowing that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, we're not becoming teachers because we, for the, to become rich and famous, you know? Um, and yet there's these companies that profit off of them. And yeah, no, it's just this vicious cycle of insanity, like you said, complete insanity. I'm just gonna throw it out there. I have always made a shout out and call out to anyone else in a different field than us in education, right? Because our, our intent is to base our, our podcast and all of our work in education, but we also want to know, you know, related fields, where are you at and other Latinx professionals, where are you at in your careers? So I would love an MD, you know, a doctor to come on here and let me know by what metrics are, is your profession being judged, right? Or evaluated because at the end of the day, we are being judged, right? But we call it evaluations. And I wonder if doctors were evaluated on the number of, of patients that they saw that had obesity, right? That had an illness, like how would those metrics change the profession, right? Because exactly what you said, how are we being evaluated on how students are progressing or not progressing or meeting that standard? Like our evaluation system is completely one-sided and not really capturing what our profession really is meant to do, which is bring students to growth, right? And, and yeah. so once, once we start addressing some of those things as to how unjustly education is built, and maybe it's because of how Lucero has always pointed out, we are a female dominated profession at this point in time, you know, who knows? Yeah, I actually get a lot of comments on my TikToks from nurses who, you know, when they, when they see the video or whatever, they'll comment and say, oh, you know, I feel you, that's exactly how it is in nursing. And yes, the fact that it's female dominated has a huge uh, role in, you know, the, this insanity. Um, there's a really great book um, called Teacher Wars and it's by Dana Goldstein. Um, I haven't finished it. It's one of those books where like you start it and then like you read it here and there over a span of like years. <laughs> But every time, every time I go back and reread something, I'm like, oh my God, this is why, this is why it's so messed up. Um, you know, I guess when education started here in the United States, um, 
they, even back then they were underfunded and they like the teachers were were female and they were just expected to do all this labor and the idea was oh well their their husbands make um salaries and so they can they can lean on their husbands and i I'm just like, oh my God, like we're in 2021. We're about, we're, we're like a few what weeks away from 2022 and we're still operating in a system that was created God knows when, you know, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, but at, as far as what you were saying about how you wonder, um, you know, how doctors are evaluated, um, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on this at all. And this is kind of a random story, but I do remember I think it was like two years ago, um, I went on a date <laughs> through Bumble and the, the guy that I went on the date with, he, I couldn't truly capture or understand exactly what he did. But what I do remember him saying is that it, it had something to do with the evaluation of, of doctors and, you know, for them to start seeing like, okay, are your patients improving? You know, you're, are, are they losing weight? Are they controlling their diabetes? Things like that. And he was like, every, every other profession is evaluated. Doctors should be too. And I was like, that's interesting. Cause I, that was like the first time that I had heard that. And then it's funny because, um, when was it? It wasn't too long after that. I had my own doctor's appointment and I remember my doctor mentioning something about that. Like, there's a lot, she, what did she say? She was something like, there's a lot of pressure on us to make sure that our, our uh, patients are do better, perform better. And I was just like, wow, I, I didn't know that that was a thing, but okay. So maybe they feel the pressure too. And then I also think, but doctors are like totally sleep deprived. And, you know, they also have their own system there are people who are not doctors who have absolutely no education in the med medical field telling them what to do. And I'm like, okay, so it's everywhere, I guess. Someone out there is profiting off of um, a profession that they know nothing of. And that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. You know, it, it's all driven by profits and that, and that's the truth. All, all professions. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> and that's why we have so little resources. Um, because they don't, they, they're keeping all of the money, but they're not willing to invest it back into education. And I forgot where I read it. It was in one of my courses in undergrad. And I think there were back then the numbers were like each child can provide up to a million dollars back into society once they're adults. But because it's such a big gap from the moment that it's being invested to the moment of its return, a lot of people aren't willing to invest into education, even though they know that it can bring back such a higher return. Mm -hmm. And that's why right now we're expected to have all these kids who were home most of the pandemic grow rapidly, right? Reach wherever they need to be, but we don't have any extra resources. We don't have any extra staffing. We have all of them back in our classrooms with just one teacher. And it's like, we're expected to almost do miracles, but it's because we love the kids. And I think that was one of our first episodes that it's for the kids. And like, that's kind of the way that you mentioned it earlier, we're gaslit into doing everything that we do because it's for the kids. And if you're not here for the kids, why are you here? Exactly. But then their actions are not for the kids. We're actually struggling a little bit about that currently and our um, school placement, there's 
like issues with schedules and currently schedules aren't benefiting the children but it they are benefiting some staff members and it's just like at the end of the day why are we why are we here the kids right so it's very very difficult but um I would like to ask you a little bit more about I'm seeing on your forum now in the district that you're in you you said it's a non-toxic district do you mind sharing a little bit more about what that's like because I feel like a lot of us don't know what that's like absolutely um yeah I, I tell everyone it's a complete 180 from what I was experiencing back in Dallas um the the main thing is that not once has my principal tried to micromanage me um nor has she ever talked down to me. She's actually this very um, positive, bubbly person and not, not like toxic positivity where you ignore the problem and you're just like, I'm just gonna be positive. No, like um, she's, she's very real with us. When there's an issue, she, she'll tell us like in a staff meeting um, and she'll say, but I don't want you to worry about this. Let me take care of this. You all focus on the kids, focus on what you're teaching. Um, she does everything in her power to make sure that we're okay. Um, you know, cause a happy, stable teacher. I mean, isn't that what you want in the classroom with your kids? Um, and she knows that she knows the value of having um, that kind of environment uh, at, at work. It's this, um, yeah, I, I don't feel micromanaged. She's never talked down to us. Um, I've also noticed that there's not, first of all, this is a high performing school. Um, it's a, it's a public school, um, but it's high performing. And I remember thinking like, man, if it's high performing, they probably do all those like the testing every week and data digs and meetings all the time. No, there, there has not been this like crazy emphasis on testing. Yes, they have their benchmarks um, here and there, but there's not all these like data dig meetings afterwards. I don't know if that's what you all call them where you like go through the scores and you try to determine, okay, which standard did they not perform? I mean, there's value in that too. Um, but in my last district, that's all it was. And we were constantly losing our planning time for these meetings. Um, she doesn't take away our planning time. In fact, she's even, this is something that I had never experienced before. Um, once every grading period or once every nine weeks, uh, they actually give the teachers this like 90 minute window of um, planning time while the, they have someone else cover the kids. I don't know if it's at PE. I, I just send my kids and I'm like, awesome. I can focus on, you know, my lesson planning or whatever. Um, they just, I, I don't know. So there's that, the fact that they don't put all this emphasis on testing. Um, they, they don't micromanage anybody. And it's just like a very positive work environment. Um, not to be confused with toxic positivity. Um, yeah, and I guess I could kind of tell during my interview, um, cause I've been in interviews where it's not just the principal, where it's like a panel of teachers, like the ones you're gonna end up working with. And they're always in the past, they've just always been kind of like serious and not really know what to say. And they even have their little script of what they're gonna ask me, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it just, I don't know, the, the mood was kind of strange. When I went to this one, they were all laughing and having a good time. And I, I don't know, I just, I felt a different vibe at this school. Um, 
and then it's just it's fun I don't know I did it's just it's so different from where I was I think another another thing that kind of plays into it is that um when I worked in Dallas I worked in a low-income area um and so the the students you know um would come from families that you know the parents were constantly working and couldn't invest as much time or like help with homework things like that um and where I am now, it is a more affluent area. Like, um, it, it does feel a little different to have parents say like, okay, what do you need? What can I get for you? What can I get for your classroom? And I'm like, whoa. Um, and so that kind of sheds a light on the fact that there is a huge difference when, you know, income levels play into it. Because uh, I, I really hate that whole thing of like, it, it, it doesn't matter uh, what's, when people say like, well, it doesn't matter what um, zip code your student lives in, like they should still be able to perform and at the same, same level, like people don't want to acknowledge the fact that poverty is something that teachers cannot control or, you know, if they come from broken families or whatever, there, there are all these outside factors that we have zero control over. We can help as much as we want to, but there's, you know, this like, uh, I feel like it's like this like artificial sense of urgency, like, teachers have to fix this, you know, you have to be the savior. And it's like, no, I'll, I'll help. And I care about my students, but I'm, I'm not about, I'm not about to martyr myself for this either. Um, and then that's where the, oh, then you must not care about the kids comes in, you know, like it's just, again, a vicious cycle. <laughs> I think that's huge. The fact that we're asked to be martyrs, mm-hmm. but a lot of us, like I again it it could be the gas lighting it could be the way that because there's like a specific type of human that's a teacher and it's always seems to be like empaths and caring about everybody else and putting everyone else first and I don't know if that has a lot to do with it but a lot of us do end up being martyrs and we do end up going above and beyond and I think what Maggie said in the beginning until we stop that and we say this is enough like yes we care about the kids of course we love the kids but at the end of the day like we have lives outside of our classrooms and we need to be able to place a very clear boundary between our lives in the classroom and our lives outside of the classroom and that's something that I started to do a little bit more this year I started using the word no a little bit more often Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um I don't know if part of it is like there's a teacher shortage and I'm like, okay, you kind of need me here. So I'm going to push my boundaries as much as I can. Um, But also because I'm starting to see how much I feel like I have been taken advantage of before that now I'm like, I I can't let that happen. I was like you where I would cry after school sometimes. It was terrible. Sometimes I'd like put a little video on and I'd like run in my closet and be like, okay, it's fine. And then go back into the classroom. And it's, we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to. Can you think of like other professions, especially like the male dominated professions where they would allow themselves to, you know, do unpaid labor, to do extra things. Like there's no way there's no way they would do that. Um, but like you said, there is a specific type of personality that goes into teaching and stays in teaching. Um, I think a lot of it is because 
it's glamorized like to be like the savior teacher from like certain certain movies like freedom writers um what was the other one um there's another one uh i can't remember the title but yes where these teachers go above and beyond to like be the savior and it's like yeah that's great um but we're just living in different times now and I don't know. It just, it shouldn't have been a problem in the first place, even pre-pandemic. It's uh -huh. um, a, a friend put it to me uh, in a really funny way. I remember he said, some people uh, draw the line, like they place their boundary with like an erasable pencil. And some people do it with a big fat Sharpie and like scratch that, like, no, it's, it's, a, it's a no. And I'm like, okay, I need to be more like that. <laughs> I need to have my Sharpie out and like draw the line. No, this is a no. Um, I guess that's kind of what I did back in October. I was like, no, this is where I draw the line. So. I know the other movie that you're referring to probably isn't this one, but this is just to kind of contrast. It's funny, but not funny, you know, situation of what you thought, you know, the teacher who thinks going into education and follows that freedom writers you know perspective versus like the, the the movie that comes to mind for me and what i thought education um was going to be like <laughs> dangerous minds yes that, that's the one i was thinking of the, that's the one with michelle pfeiffer right <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> you know where, where you have these you have these contrasts of like yes and in both movies i guess you have that commonality of having that you know that picture that society paints of what the the teacher looks like and how they behave and how they address and then because there is there there is that complex of having like that savior right complex going into this field of I'm going to you know really change the system right and in reality it's like not one person can do it it's a collective Right. And I feel like, you know, not not veering into that conversation, because that could take us on a whole other topic of the reason of why our unions, right, function the way that they do. And so there's, there's a lot of pro-union, anti-union conversation, but at the core issue is the fact that at one point in time, it has to be a collective in order mm -hmm. for change and for the voices to really be heard it has to come as a collective statement of individuals saying, no, this is my boundary drawn with a Sharpie. You cannot erase it. You have to hear us because our issues are real and we need to address them now. You know, um, I get a lot of people who ask me like, what union are you with? I have absolutely nothing against unions, but I'm not in a union and, um, I guess in my mind, what I've always thought is exactly what you said, that it has to be a collective, like um, teachers have to stand together and it has to be like this huge wave of like enough. It, we, we don't need a union to do that. We don't need a union to go speak at a board meeting. We don't need a union to write a letter, you know, to your, um, to your local government, to your state government. Like you don't, you don't need to be a part of a union to do that. Um, so I, I've never, yeah, I'm not in a union. Um, but again, I don't have anything against them. I, you know, I read some stuff and yes, I, I, I've heard both sides and I'm like, well, can I say that I'm neutral? I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like I need the union to fight my battles for me. Um, but it's possible that like, I don't have a clear picture of what the unions do or what they're supposed to do. Um, 
but again, I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to go out there and do it on my own, which is, you know, what I've been doing. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to comment a little bit on that. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, we are very new to a union at our school. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, it's still a little bit of like, is this the best choice for us? Or could we have mm -hmm. gone without it? Yeah. What we have noticed for sure is that the union has provided some sort of solidarity that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. And what we do know is that there is power in numbers. Absolutely. And having that union kind of like has honed in, like this is our one true mission that we're trying to aim for. Mm -hmm. um, whereas before it was kind of like everyone was fending for themselves. Mm -hmm. So then those who were actually going out and advocating for themselves would get things that other people maybe did not feel comfortable doing so or were newer to the field was not getting. And so then that's when we saw this like disparity and unfairness mm -hmm. um, that the union kind of helped solve. But it, it definitely is something that I think nationwide, there has to be some sort of collective agreement of like, we're not going to do this anymore if we're not being respected yeah. as the professionals that we are. A lot of educators have masters and beyond, mm -hmm. and yet we're still not paid for them. We're still not seen as an actual professional sometimes. Yeah. I have heard so many horror stories of a friend um, when she goes on dates and they're like, oh, so you play with kids all day. That must be so fun. And it's like, no. Ghost him, dump him. <laughs> I wish we could play with them. We're not even allowed to have, you know, like we're not even allowed to uh, have fun sometimes because of the strict curriculum and you have to stick to the book and the common core. It's, it's definitely something that we've been saying on and on again on this podcast, like until we are in the, are sitting at the table, making the decisions until that happens, there's not going to be drastic change yeah. down the line. I agree. And also we mentioned that there's like this very long food chain, so to speak in education, right? There's always someone above someone else. Oh, so it's uh, the chain of command. Yes. <laughs> the chain of command. Yeah. And at the end of the day, until the federal government makes a change, there's not going to be any change down the line either. So it's just so, so many moving pieces, so many places for error, but it has to start with us. Like it has to start with the teachers. If not, it's never going to happen. But you know what? I also think it. It depends on the state also because here in Texas, there was a, there were a bunch of federal mandates that, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of our governor and just how he- Oh, we have. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just like the, 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 the insane um, response from like parents here. I don't know if it's the same. Uh, you all are in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like here in Texas, um, there are just so many parents who were, you know, anti-mask and, um, you know, wanted things to just operate like normal, which is why, uh, you know, the, the districts did end up doing that. They, it was being driven by, by these parents. And it's interesting because, um, you know, so I was in Dallas and yes, they were going they were expecting us to go back into the classroom. Um, 
when I came home to El Paso, Texas, uh, none of the districts in my hometown were doing in-person. They were all virtual. And I remember I called um, my state, state board of education representative um, and you know, I asked her like, how is that possible? Because the way Dallas explained it to me, they said, oh, our hands are tied. Like this is what the state wants us to do. We have no choice. And I believed that. So I asked her, I was like, how is that possible here in El Paso? And she said um, that the parents were surveyed. And so El Paso was probably the only large city in Texas that I think it was like less than 10%, she said, of parents who were willing to send their kids back into the classroom, which was the complete opposite of what was going on in the bigger cities. Um, and so, yeah, like, I feel like, well, even if there is a federal mandate, I don't, I think this is all driven by, by you know, other factors. Um, it's not always the parents because you also have a large group of parents in our state who are super anti-standardized testing and, you know, we're not getting very far with that um, other than opting their kids out. And it's growing each year though. So that's what I've heard at least, so. I know, I know a lot of educators who will sneakily be like, well, you don't have to take this test. You can definitely say you don't want to take it. Yeah, I know. I made a, <laughs> I went for like, I don't know, this long streak of months where I was like making these um, videos to tell parents like, hey, you don't, you can opt out of this test. Here's the website with all the steps. Here's the, you know, the template letter that you can send to your principal. And it, it was crazy the kind of, um, feedback I was getting. There were some parents who were like, you know, thank you so much for this. My principal um, was like, okay, you know, that's fine. Like they worked with them. It was non-contentious. And then you had the ones that would get into screaming matches with the principals because the principals were like, you can't do that. And they're like, I know for a fact that I can do this. It, it, it was, it's just, it was just a mess here in Texas. And I would expect that it's going to be that way again this coming year. So. I know right now the TikTok trend is like the hack, right? Like they don't know that I know this. <laughs> and I feel like that's what parents need to say. Like, you know, principal doesn't know that I know this, but, mm -hmm. and that's another really big thing. And I think that comes with the low income versus affluent neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Those parents know their rights and they know that at the end of the day, like they get to decide what does or doesn't happen to their child. Whereas low-income neighborhoods are kind of just like, here, take my child, educate them, because they don't really have the time to sit down and understand their rights. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't speak the language. Exactly. Some of them just, you know, they, they require education as childcare more so than as education. And that's why they're just like, you know, here, have my child. And it's, that's also where I think educators come in as advocates for the families yeah. and tell them like, hey, you can do this. Like, this is your right. And until more educators start doing that too, more family members are going to feel more inclined to step up and say, hey, this isn't right. You need to listen to me. Like, this is my right. And you know, that's another one of those things that teachers are afraid to speak up about and, you know, tell their parents, advocate for the, the families because there are actually principals out there um, who will say, don't, like this is a directive coming from me or from my higher ups, whatever, but do not tell the families this. And, you know, there's some kind of consequence if you do, which I'm like, you can't, they, they have- It's illegal. Right, like, you can't do that. 
but um, so many teachers, you know, they, they get scared. They're like, oh, I don't want to wrestle mm-hmm. any feathers. I don't want to step on any toes. Um, I've, get, I've gotten messages from uh, teachers who are like, well, I don't want to put the target on my back. And I'm like, oh my God, do you hear yourself? Do you hear how you're referring to this? Like they can't do that. Um, but apparently they do because I have had um, some teachers who message me and say that they were let go. And I'm like, isn't that a lawsuit? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know the specifics, but like that just, that doesn't sound right. But of course you don't know what you don't know. And so they get away with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and that and that's, you know, in line with the whole collective of us not really being valued and um, elevated to the professional level that we know we deserve, right? That as educators, also many times we are let go without really understanding, like why were we let go other than, you know, we rubbed somebody the wrong way and we ruffled some feathers. And until we collectively come back and saying like, no, like this isn't, you know, this isn't fair. There's, there's, that's why there's a process for everything. Like go back and fight it a lot of the times. And it's because we don't want um, to keep continuing, like to invest emotionally, right? Also, we feel like exactly what Lucero said, we're all empaths. We're all trying to do this for the right reason to serve, right? To really help society as a whole, right? And when something really negative happens to us or we lose our job, we internalize that and say, oh, it's me, right? Uh The problem is me. And don't look at it as no, the problem is the system. The system is not being designed to provide you with the support that you are meant to have as a professional and the, you know, the respect that comes along with that. Exactly. So I think it's it's really valuable to also have a space that we can share these um, experiences in because until we start seeing how it's, it's not you, right? It's not me. And it's happening to other people that we can then start having those conversations, exactly what you said of like, well, how did you address it? You know, did you call your HR person? Did you go to that board meeting, like, and follow up with accountability, even for ourselves, right? As professionals to really stand up and stick up for each other, then we're going to keep being in the same space. And so I kind of wanted to see, like, what are some of the next steps for you, right, in your advocacy journey? Because like, now that you're back in the classroom, but you're still very much so continuing with, you know, your platform and elevating your voice and advocacy and um, and that's what Latin exchange is all about too that we really want to form that collective right we want to be that space for teachers and educators you know everyone really in our in our field to be able to find each other and collectively start making the changes that we want to see yeah um in all honesty I I don't know what my next steps are um so you know, the, the whole TikTok thing took off and, and I'm definitely gonna continue. And anytime I come across something that just wasn't right that happened to a teacher, I will always, you know, bring light to it via social media. Um, but I know that like, I'm not gonna be able to make changes just by myself. Um, the, the truth is that now it, it, it's a lot harder to, um, I shouldn't say it's a lot harder, but now that I'm at this school in this district where I feel like a professional, I'm treated like a professional, um, 
I don't walk around angry all the time. And, you know, the way I was in, in the last, in my last district, I, you know, I would call my, um, my trustee from the school board and, you know, write letters to whoever I needed to, like, you know, because I was in that environment and um, I, I don't want to lose that. But so far I haven't, you know, I haven't had any grievances right now where I'm like, no. So I guess I'm always looking to the outside. I'm always looking to other school districts or hearing from other teachers. And I will definitely, you know, get fired up about that. And my blood will boil at what I'm hearing from other teachers. And of course, I still, you know, hear the, the same experiences and stories from teachers at my former district. Um, so I, I guess I need to formulate a plan because I, I don't know what's next. Um, I, you know, testing season is coming up you know, in, and I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do again what I did last year, but maybe start earlier and trying to get the information to parents um, of how to opt their children out of testing, um, continue doing things like this. I, I love being invited on to, to speak, you know, um, and, you know, speak at board meetings um, for anything that I feel is unjust or just, you know, not right. Um, but I don't have any like concrete next steps yet. <laughs> I'll start thinking about those soon. <laughs> but I will always continue to be an advocate for teachers and students. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I, I wanna take some of that power away from, you know, the people who have abused our system or who, you know, benefit from it in a way that does not benefit children. Like, you know, and yet these are the people that say, well, you must not care about kids because they didn't do well on their benchmark test. And it's like, wow, um, I'll continue to shed light on that and talk to teachers as much as I can. I, I really, that is something that I've really enjoyed from this whole, you know, TikTok blow up thing is that I've had teachers from, you know, other cities, other states reach out and tell me about their experiences. And so when I hear about them, um, you know, that's what keeps me fired up because right now my current experience at my current school, I'm not fired up because nothing bad is happening. I'm, it's a very positive experience right now. Um, but I know that not everyone is so fortunate and I know that the school that I'm at is not the norm, but that's what I wanna normalize. The experience that I have right now, that's what I wanna normalize for teachers. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for all the work that you are doing and all the nonstop advocacy that you're doing for others, right? Because a lot of it now is for others. And thank you for putting yourself out there. And a lot of, I feel like a lot of teachers may look to you as like, you can help them speak up Absolutely. more because a lot of us and again I said I'm still working on it but a lot of us still don't have that ability to speak up for ourselves yet so having someone like you to kind of like start and ignite the fire will help for it to spread so thank you so much all right and so we will uh close this up for today, but definitely we'll be reaching out to see how we can further collaborate, you know, on some of this advocacy work because it definitely is something that is very much needed. We know that it's needed now more than ever. And it was actually um, 
a little bit of a conversation that I had with another guest as well and saying that I know here in, in Chicago, we are also, you know, we, we have our, we have our disparities. Of course we do, but I believe that as a collective of teachers, we are very fortunate to be in a, in a city that has, um, that has been able to provide teachers with a reasonable salary, right? And resources, you know, not, not the best and definitely not enough, but enough resources to be able to go to work and try to attempt to do our jobs fairly. Yeah. Um, but that also sometimes leads to complacency, right? And so just because we're not struggling with something or an issue is not hitting home for us, then we're just kind of like, oh, you know, yes, well, we support you. But words words are just words. Mm -hmm. It's time for action. And I, I really like how you said that that collective action of what you know now is not the norm and what you are experiencing in your professional life right now is not the norm, but that is the goal, right? That is the goal to make that the norm for all of us that are in education. And so I think there's definitely a lot more work and collaboration that we can put forth together. So I'm excited you know, and thankful that you said yes to joining us on the podcast. And yes, of course. Yeah. For anything, you know, like I, I love meeting, you know, like-minded teachers. And I, I love that we're starting to see our power. Maybe we haven't taken that next step to, to, you know, actually advocate, but like, we're, we're recognizing it. We're recognizing like, Hey, this, something's not right here. And, you know, just to even taking that first step of being able to set your boundaries and say no with a Sharpie, like that that's a huge first step. I think it's going to take a huge mind shift for teachers um, in order to, to participate in advocacy, you know, and push for change. Mm -hmm. So, and we definitely need more teachers at the table calling the shots. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. So we'll wrap up with our lightning round of getting to know you questions. And okay. the first one is, um, ¿cuál es tu canción? Yeah. ¿Cuál es tu canción favorita? Este, en la forma yo puse uh, Overcomer. Um, I don't know how accurate that is though. I, I put that one because it's a, it is such a positive, like empowering song. But there's just so many that I couldn't pick one. So, um, but the fact that, you know, I, I feel like it speaks to teachers because we are overcomers. Um, we put up with so much sugar, honey, iced tea that, you know, I truly believe that we are the epitome of what an overcomer is. So, I was going to say it fits so well with this episode. <laughs> it does. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really does. All right. Next question is, um, ¿cuál es tu comida favorita? Uh, a mí me encanta el sushi y pues um, mi papá es panameño, pero también um, es uh, chino. Así que yo, aunque yo crecí aquí en El Paso, que es un border town con México, con Juárez, este, yo no crecí con comida uh, mexicana. Yo crecí con comida china, vietnamese, thai, japanese, sushi. En esta casa siempre hay arroz blanco, siempre. Así que... Um, De vez en cuando comíamos este, comida mexicana, pero no crecí con eso. That sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I have not to this day eaten sushi yet. What? I've, I don't know if we can collaborate <laughs> anymore. That's my fault. I, I said I would take her, but I have not. 
to take her. It's it's delicious. Have you had pho? That I have not had. No. Pho is like ramen. It's like ramen, but I guess not as thick. Um, but it's a it's a Vietnamese soup. It's I've delicious. Been, yes, that so. I've been wanting to try that I have not. Yeah. See, I, I grew up with all that stuff. So now that um, people are like discovering it, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, You knew cool. it before it's, it was cool. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's doing it before it was cool, everybody. <laughs> y la última parte es una frase. It's a phrase. So termina esta frase. Voy camino rumbo a. So where are you heading towards? Oh no, I feel pressure now. I don't know what to say to that one. Could be um, literal or figuratively. Este, estoy pensando. You know, I think that there's a goal that I have that it's one of those things, you know, when they ask like, you know, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you, what would mm -hmm. you do? And at first for a long time, I thought I want to be the secretary of education. I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be the commissioner of education here in Texas. That, that's what I want to do. So who knows? Maybe, maybe someday. That's amazing. <laughs> Putting I it out, like it. speaking yes. it into, into <laughs> yes. manifesting it. Yeah, manifesting awesome. it. Because I, I truly believe teachers need to be the ones calling the shots, not these people who have never stepped foot in a classroom as an educator. Or so. if you plan on applying <laughs> for that job, then you need to go be an educator first. <laughs> Exactly. Put in a few years, get to know the system so that you truly know what you're mm -hmm. talking about. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Um, like we said earlier, we're going to have to bring you back and collaborate in more ways because this is such a powerful Absolutely. topic, but thank you so much for taking the thank time. You so much for yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, um, that you all had me and that you spoke to me. I love sharing, you know, the story and just being able to hopefully reach teachers. Like I, I really hope that someone is listening to this and thinks, you know what? I'm going to sign up to speak at a board meeting. I'm going to, you know, go talk to the principal right now. Something. I, I just, I want to empower teachers. So thank you for giving me a platform of to do course. that. The platform <laughs> is always yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. So like always, this has been fun. Um, and remember that you can reach out with any questions, any comments, and anything else that you want to share. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on all platforms. We are on Instagram, on Twitter, and our personal favorite, TikTok! TikTok. <laughs> um, we are also on our website, latinexchange.co. Like always, I'm Lucero. And Maggie. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Hasta la próxima.